Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. All right, guys. In this little thing we call democracy, we have this other thing called citizen power. We just need to know how to use it, to be perfectly honest. A little TBH. Yet, if you feel fed up or confused by the U.S. government, you are seriously not alone. Most voters feel powerless, especially when lobbyists and special interest groups seem to control the levers of government more so than the people. But your voice and your vote matter. So when you understand how the government actually works, you can have a surprising amount of influence. Makes sense, right? So we have the thing for you to make this magic happen. And that is Citizen Power with our friends Natalia Ramos and Ben Sheehan. And it is their 10-day course that offers civics education that you missed or or you might have forgotten from high school. You know, you might have been skipping class. You might have been eating Chipotle. I mean, that's what I was doing. So we get it. And this 10-day course is free for the first five days. So before we get into that, let's just get into like what this course is going to give you. And it's not about the facts, it's not about the dates. This isn't just like a memorization game, which don't get me wrong. Like everyone loves a good Jeopardy moment, but that's not what this is about. It's about giving you back your power as a citizen to move forward the issues you really care about. So by taking this course, you'll learn what you should be taught in a civics class, but honestly, as in. So your rights and your powers as a citizen, which sounds pretty basic, but a lot of us don't know them. How you can have the most influence over your elected representatives, real actionable steps you can take to influence policy, and honestly, the confidence and conviction to contribute to the future of democracy. So there are a lot of takeaways that are a part of this course, and they honestly make you the CEO of your elected officials, which you are, by the way, FYI, in case you missed it. So it's time to make sure your voice is heard, time to dive in, time to have a little education moment. So head to the link in our episode description to start this awesome civics class. And like we said, get the first five days free by using our link shared there get rocking get rolling get learning so do you need stress relief sleep support recovery mood boosters or how about the best of all honestly some new incredible skincare prima has recently been selected as one of sephora's 10 brands that meet their rigorous clean standards by priding themselves on sustainable farming practices, being carbon neutral, being 100% clean with, with strict safety standards. Plus for every product sold, Prima removes twice as much plastic waste from the environment. And Prima gives 1% annually to nonprofit organizations and is a certified B Corp. So quite literally all of the reasons why We wanted to partner with Prima, bring them all to you, and of course, like buy their incredible products. And so Prima, as as you might know by now, perhaps, maybe, has amazing doctor-formulated, clinically validated, high-performance CBD products for the skin, body, and mind, and in just so many forms. So we have CBD supplements to bath bombs, body lotions, body oils, and skincare. 
special shout out to my favorite is the night magic night oil for your face. You know, both Vogue and I swear by it. So that's how you know. But lucky for us, you can also enjoy the relief of the best CBD products out there because Prima is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time 15% off offer with the code GIRLGOV. So head to Prima.co and feel better every day. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. <laughs> because politics needed a rebrand. <laughs> Welcome back to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. We are back for another fresh week, fresh uppy. Are we excited? We're excited, and honestly, like, I don't know what's just come over me, but, like, know what I, like, almost wish you said, and I, I don't know why. This, oh, like, should have happened, like, a year and a half ago. Hello, cats and kittens, or whatever that line is from Tiger King. Wait, that's actually so weird that you just brought that up, because somebody on the cast just was found dead on today. What? In New York City. Are you serious? One of, yeah. One of the, he was, like, a zookeeper for Carol Baskin. The mystery continues. Wow. Is okay. everyone okay? Look, like, I don't know what weird universe shit that is, but that's something. That is That, that is so is weird something. that you, like, ironically just brought up Tiger King. I'm not kidding. Right before we started recording, that, like, news alert came on. What's even I weirder, like, I haven't thought about Tiger King since, like, probably last, I don't know, June? I never think about Tiger King. Like, I... You know what's... I, you want to hear just, like, a funny, like, quarantine-triggering moment? Obviously. When I was watching Tiger King, obviously, in the very heat of quarantine in 2020, it just reminds me, like, I used to watch it in my room, and I was so bored that I would bring out my computer as well and play Bubble Trouble from AddictingGames.com while watching Tiger King. Do you know that game? I don't. I I know know. someone's going to know that game, and if you guys worse like played bubble trouble the way i did or just any addicting games game please dm us i just like want to have a moment with everyone who is also an addicting games gamer and i'm just glad that memory got triggered for me even though it was a very dark time look i appreciate the the gamingness you know i it does sound weirdly like therapeutic like you know kind of like it's got a rhythm to it you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like well, I like to usually, like, do something while I'm watching. You know, I like to have multiple mm-hmm. screens up when you watch TV. Does anyone else? Like, I'll either be shopping. Oh, yeah. I'll be playing a game or something. Like, for some reason, I have to be on my phone while watching TV. It's just, like, a weird modern problem that I have, modern addiction. Well, because you know but, what it is? It's like we're always doing an activity in, like, our screen and our phone situation. Like, yeah. We're always right. You know what I mean? Like, we that's our normal added thing. So it's weird to be like, oh, I'm going to put it down, even though it's just, Okay, I've I'm kind of realized like, about myself, too, is that, like, I feel like I always have to be multitasking. Like, I don't feel productive if I'm not. If I'm brushing my teeth, I'm literally walking around the house, like, just picking things up, putting them in different places. Like, I'm just constantly, when I'm literally listening back to our podcast or editing it, like, I'm moving around. I'm, like, cleaning. I, like, always just feel like I have to be multitasking. <laughs> is, that like a, is that any, like, mental illness? I think it's like hyper feminine because women are so good at multitasking. Have you met me? <laughs> Have you seen me try and multitask? Well, I'm sure like the ADD like will, you know, block those more, you know, womanly instincts of multitasking for you, but that 
any maternal instinct that ever. <laughs> Sam actually lacks all maternal instincts. I think the only one I have is, you know, when you're in a car and you stop short and you like put your arm out or like you're about to cross the street kind of thing. And you're like, oh, car's coming. I do do that to people. Oh, you do. Oh, okay. That's so nice yeah. of you. I know. Well, speaking it's... of like paternal maternal instincts, Mayor Pete has officially become a dad. We reported on this a couple weeks ago. They were planning it and they didn't give out too many details, but the baby is here. The baby. Well, two babies. Ooh, babies. Oh, my God. Yeah, there's two of them. Penelope Rose and Joseph August Buttigieg. Those are cute names. I are they twins? love those names. I honestly, like, wouldn't have thought of August, and I love it. Like, yeah, I it says, might add that to my list. August is really cute. Well, it's Joseph August. It's the middle name. It's really cute. There's it's, been no further information on whether they're twins or not. But, yeah, how sweet. I mean, freaking cute. Their announcement was adorable. I freaking love it. Love this for them. And what I also love is Jill Biden getting back to the classroom and hitting us with some freaking learnings. She is back in the classroom at Northern Virginia Community College where she has worked since 2009. She is teaching it up like nobody's business. And I love it. I love this so much. And she is the first first lady to have a full-time job while serving. That is just beyond. Can you imagine your teacher being Jill Biden? How are you supposed to focus? I was literally thinking about this today. I was like, "How? no way. Like, what about the security? Like, there's so, I have so many questions. Oh my God, so true. So true, the security. But like, I just, I think there would be like one of those moments. I I mean, obviously, haven't been there, haven't lived through it. If I were to take a guess, like week one, I would probably be like, oh my God, holy intimidation. But she has this like demeanor that is just so like freaking like, I I don't know. like Like, just like warm and like, yeah. Yeah. Like I getting to email with Dr. Jill Biden. This is freaking amazing. But like also imagine like, it's all, it's not like she's like at Harvard or like Yale or something. Like she's at like a Northern Virginia community college. Like and that's just so cool, too, as a student. Like, you technically have, like, direct line to the president of the United States, right? You a thousand like, percent do. Because it's, like, her experience, like, I feel like with any politician, like, part of what informs, or at least hopefully informs your decision-making is based on your own experiences. Mm-hmm. And to, like, actually be in a position where you're understanding, witnessing, and being a part of interactions that are a part of most Americans day-to-day as opposed to, like, a more, like, elite little bubble. I just think that is so refreshing and also just, like, productive and cool. And I just – I want to know how she, like, grades homework. Like, I want to know, like, so much of that, like, type of stuff, too. Like, is she a hard grader? Is she a big homework gal? Like, what's the deal? And, like – I literally – I just can't even – begin to fathom like how incredible my academic performance would be if I had Jill Biden as my teacher like I would not skip a class Mm -hmm. I would literally try on all my homework every test I would do all the reading like I would become valedictorian I would step it the fuck up if I had Jill Biden as my professor I mean in spell but look I mean Dr. Fox though how'd you do in that class Sam (laughs) 
You guys, go listen to our episode with Professor Fox. Let me just say he was my favorite professor, but we won't get into why. He's a riot. He is absolutely riot. We need to just have him on again and, mm-hmm. you know, we do. dive into some, some more topics because he's, he's the fox. <laughs> I'm just going to... I'm going to just trail off into the distance on that. But for our guest today, because our guest today is, speaking of like Jill Biden being like a boss, like the woman that we also had on today, also absolute boss. And her name is Sarah Haig. She's the political director at Vote Mama PAC, which is a super, super awesome PAC organization. They also have a foundation. And their goal is to get more working moms elected into office. There's a whole story. I don't, you know, I don't want to like even jump ahead on it because it's like good. And Sarah does like such a good job of like running through all of like the details, how they got their start, what the whole deal is. So I'm not even gonna like take away that moment. Mm-hmm. So I guess like without further ado, here's Sarah. Well, we are super, super excited to have you on the show, chat with you. Vote Mama has been on our radar for quite some time. I've been following on on IG and all of the amazing things that you guys have been doing. And of course, you're a part of that equation. So for our listeners, would you mind giving yourself a little bit of like an introduction, elevator speech, the whole bit? Yes. Hello. I am Sarah Haig. I am the political director at the Vote Mama PAC and Vote Mama Foundation. So excited to be here with you guys today. Thank you for having me on. And it's her birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Can't think of a better way to celebrate. We've got snaps all around and we're super excited. And to sort of get things going politically, how did you get into politics in the first place? Because I feel like that's always like an interesting journey to learn about and always so different. Yeah. I got into politics at the ripe age of 15. I, yeah, my member of Congress in Connecticut, Congressman John Larson, shout out Connecticut one, still killing it in office. He started the first congressional youth cabinet in the country. So it was during the 2008 student debt loan crisis. And he thought I need to be hearing from the young people in my district who are impacted by the votes that I'm taking, but can't vote for me. So he started a program where two high school students from every school in his district represented their peers in a youth advisory council. So we met one Saturday a month for two hours and talked about what concerns we had, ranging from bullying, student debt, voting access, and he brought in guests to talk to us and teach us more about those topics. And from the first meeting, I was hooked. The the moment you get access to decision makers and lawmakers, everything changes. Government becomes way more fun. So I have been hooked onto the politics train since then. (laughs) I love that. That's amazing. Well, you were also chief of staff for representative. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about that? And like, what does a chief of staff do? What is the role there? Yeah, great question. So I was the district chief of staff for Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney in New York City's 12th Congressional District. The chief of staff, especially, I'll focus on a district office. Mm -hmm. You're basically the chief of operations, making sure that everything in the office is going smoothly and also equipping staff with the tools and the resources that they need to be able to serve constituents. Congressional district offices do what's called casework 
every member of Congress has a team of caseworkers that act as liaisons between constituents and federal agencies. So if one of our constituents, someone who lived in our district was having an issue with immigration or Medicare or their tax, federal taxes, they could contact us, send us the inquiry, and we would pass it along to the agency. And if an agency gets a letter signed by a member of Congress, they have to reply with some type of information within 30 days. So we would be able to, we had access to answers and information to clear up issues that our constituents were having. So we had a full team of caseworkers that I managed just to make sure that the letters were coming in and going out, that we were following up if we weren't really getting answers, things like that. And this was during the Trump administration. So you can imagine how many immigration mm -hmm. cases were. Oh my God. Um, yeah, it was, it was insanity. The other part of a district office that's really important for a member of Congress is translating the important work that happens in DC, those legislative agendas, introducing or voting on legislation, translating that into how those votes or those new pieces of legislation actually impact the people in the district. Mm -hmm. So how does this vote on federal funding actually trickle down and impact people's day-to-day -day lives? How does this Voting Rights Act actually impact people's civic participation? Yeah. So that kind of translation is really vital for a working district office. So my job was basically to oversee that, make sure our staff was in the district, getting to know people, making sure that they knew that we were here to help and to, that they knew what the Congresswoman was doing when she was in DC. Okay. Well, that sounds epic and like a lot of work and a lot of sleepless nights, but like also so much fun because you're talking to so many people. So like as an extrovert, like sign me up. So for <laughs> any of our other like extroverts that are like listening to this episode and they're like, Oh my God, wait, that sounds like a dream job. Like, can I figure that out for me? Is there any advice that you would give them in terms of like getting in the door there or just like things to sort of keep in mind? Yeah, totally. District offices are often looking for interns and fellows to help with this work. So I had a fellowship program during my time at the Congresswoman's office where our interns were doing, were drafting the letters that were going to the agencies, taking calls from constituents, hearing their concerns, taking down their opinions, doing intake for that casework, going out to community meetings. There's so much that happens in a district office and it's actually more accessible than young people think. I would also say that volunteering on any type of campaign, whether it's at the federal level or down to a school board race, is the perfect way to get to know your community, get to know politics in your area, and get your foot in the door from when that person hopefully gets into office. No, that's so smart, especially it's like, you're already, you already have some familiar faces, which I feel like is always a good thing. So in terms of fellowships, okay, I have another question. Sorry, it's like totally yeah. not part of this, but like, what is like required of like a student applying for that? So the, the thing that I looked for most is if a student, what a student's experience in the district was like. Does the student go to school in our district? Did they grow up in the district? How familiar are they? Because we wanted to prioritize constituents getting to intern in their own office first. And then it's the drive behind it, right? Less interested in a student that's like, I want to add this to my resume or for my college application. 
want someone who is eager to learn the process and eager to get involved and help their community. And the other thing that's huge is attention to detail. So if there are spelling errors or grammatical errors in a cover letter or resume, that's a red flag for me that there would be a lack of attention to detail when drafting constituent letters, which meant more work for me because I would have to edit it and it would go through a couple more rounds. And that means that that constituent is waiting longer to get their problem solved. So I would say that attention to detail is really, really important when seeking something like this out. Makes sense. Totally makes sense. Well, let's move on to talk about Vote Mama. You're the political director there. Can you kind of give us the rundown on Vote Mama, what you're all about, and also about your role as well? Yeah, absolutely. So Vote Mama was founded by Luba Gretchen Shirley. She ran for Congress in 2018 when her kids were one and three. She, it's hard to run for office as a woman. It's even harder to run for office as a mom. It's even harder to run for office as a mom of young kids who constantly gets asked questions like, who's going to take care of your family while you're in office? Aren't you too busy? Shouldn't you wait until they're grown and out of the house? Um, And Lou was really sick of getting those questions. And the people that helped her most in her run were people like Senator Elizabeth Warren, Congresswoman Grace Mang, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, who said, called her up and said, this is how I manage my schedule with my family. I take this time off. This is how I did door knocking and breastfeeding. This is how I juggled all of these responsibilities that all too often fall on the mother in a household. And those were what got her by, that camaraderie. So after her race, she launched Vote Mama. So we are a political action committee that endorses, financially supports, and mentors Democratic moms with young children running for office from school board all the way to Senate, so up and down the ballot across the country. We also recently, well, I guess somewhat recently, launched a foundation. So we have a Vote Mama Foundation. It is a 501c3 nonpartisan nonprofit that works to research and break down the barriers that keep moms from running for office and keeps moms from political participation. So right now that work is focused on our legislative effort to pass campaign funds for childcare in all 50 states. That's incredible. So exciting. And what about your role? What is a day-to-day like for you as a political director there? Yeah. So on the PAC side, it looks like I'm, I'm the key point of contact for our candidates and for their staff. So if our candidate needs to hire someone or needs more information about doing call time, fundraising, or has a question about their policy platform or help editing an op-ed, I'm the one they contact and I try to match our candidates with the resources that they need. And then also try to match all of our candidates with mentors, either from our advisory committee, which is made up of super badass women who have run for office and served in office with young kids, or our alumni, candidates that we endorsed and supported in either won or lost. We try to match all of our endorsed candidates with someone who knows what it's like to have a bad day on the campaign trail and can talk call time to car seats, right? Yeah. On our uh, foundation side, I uh, lead our legislative work, trying to pass that legislation I spoke of earlier. And that includes reaching out 
creating relationships with legislators across the country that I think would be um, interested in learning more about our efforts and hopefully then carrying or supporting the legislation themselves so that we could get it passed in, the, in their state. That's awesome. And literally the perfect segue into our I have a stupid question segment, because our first question is, what is the Federal Election Commission? I know this has quite a lot to do with Vote Mama in general, the mission, but also yes. like the work you're just describing. So you could give us the 411 on what on earth this is. <laughs> Great. Yes. Great question. So the FEC is an independent regulatory agency, which is a big way of saying that it, it acts on its own and it enforces and oversees campaign finance rules. It's made up of six commissioners and there's at no point can there be more than three commissioners from one party. So it is innately bipartisan entity. Wait, yeah. wild. Okay, so like how do these people get selected? Like, is there a process? Like, is it like sorority rush? Is it, you know, like what's the... <laughs> much like, much like sorority rush, there is an appointment process. <laughs> that feels so right. That and just... there has to be a vote and they have to be vetted and then they can serve on the commission. And it's a, it's sort of like an unknown agency, right? You hear a lot about the Department yeah. of Defense and all of these other agencies. The FEC sort of works on its own and can be a really incredible tool in making decisions of how political participation works in our country. Mm -hmm. So campaign finance rules. Yeah, can you kind of dive into like campaign finance for people who don't really know or understand what that even means or what, why the FEC is even necessary? Yeah, absolutely. So there are laws that surround what political candidates, candidates for office can accept in contributions. So I'm sure you've heard a lot about, about this topic as of late. The Federal Election Commission rules just the laws surrounding federal candidates. So that's the U.S. House, the U.S. Senate, President, Vice President. LUBA, this is, this is important to Vote Mama's history because LUBA, Gretchen Shirley, Vote Mama's CEO and founder, ran for Congress in 2018. Her kids were one in three. She had to give up her salary to run for office full-time, which is the case for many federal candidates. It is a yeah. full-time job to run for office. Totally. And without getting a salary, paying for childcare is nearly impossible mm -hmm. for the working class. Childcare can cost more than a college tuition. Oh my gosh. So, those things hand in hand, no salary, having to pay for childcare creates a financial barrier for working caretakers for running for office. And those are exactly the people we need at the table, right? Mm -hmm. So Luba petitioned the FEC and asked permission basically to be able to use her campaign funds that she raised, campaign funds that came in to support her candidacy to pay for campaign-related childcare expenses. So basically, if she had an event or a town hall, right, or was out door knocking and needed childcare, she could use her campaign funds that she raised to pay for that childcare. Candidates, so it set, I, 
I'll get into the, the, the details of it in a little bit. But now it's set a precedent so any candidate for federal office can now use their campaign funds to pay for childcare. And we saw candidates like Raphael Warnock and Andrew Yang and Eric Swalwell and Nakima Williams and Katie Porter and Ilhan Omar use their campaign funds to pay for childcare when they were running for Congress. Is there like a percentage that they're limited to on it? Or is it like a little bit more like willy nilly, like you can use it at your own you know, disposal? Like what's the deal with that? Yeah. Great question. So there are at the federal, it's different at the federal level than at state levels, right? So because the FEC ruling only applies to federal candidates, that means vote mama's task of getting every single state to pass legislation, allowing this by 2023. That's why we have to do it because each state makes their own campaign finance laws. So some states in some areas like New York City has campaign funds for childcare and and they have public financing. There is a cap on how much money they can spend on their childcare. A lot of the concern around campaign funds for childcare, the pushback that we get in trying to get this legislation passed is fear of abuse. That people who need to pay for childcare would run for office just to be able to use their money their campaign funds to pay for childcare. It's a which, lot of effort. It's a lot of effort. Raising money is really hard <laughs> for a campaign. And also there are safeguards in place for using campaign funds on a myriad of ways, right? Mm-hmm. There are entities that like the FEC that exist to enforce campaign finance law. And this would be included in that just like any other, if there was an abuse of any type of spending, of campaign contributions, that is how it would be enforced. Interesting. Are there like, okay, this is like taking me down a totally different rabbit hole. Let's go. But like in terms of like campaign spending abuse, like what are like typically things that like, like obviously someone, someone fucks up, like someone absolutely definitely like abuses like funds out there. What are the things that they do with it? Yeah. Like what are the things the FEC has to kind of like manage and make sure people aren't, you know, spending the money on. Yeah. Whose wrists are they slapping? Right. (laughs) Right. So that's a great question. I think a more fun answer is actually what candidates can spend their campaign contributions on um, in some states. So you can buy gala tickets if you're saying that it's a campaign event. Okay. So Sam, that's how we're getting into the Met Gala. Um, We're going to run for office. You can buy clothes for the campaign trail in some places. You can buy tires for your car if you're using your car a lot. There's a scandal with Lauren Bogart who... Classic. Yes, for not reporting or for over-reporting mileage in a day because you can claim the miles that you put on a car to a certain like 50 cents a mile or something. She got like $20,000 or something in mileage refunds, which is like she would have to have driven around the world twice or something wild. It just did not add up. So there are clear parameters on what you are allowed and not allowed to use your campaign funds on. The reason the FEC petition, Luba's work for campaign funds for childcare, was necessary is it was not clear it was not defined in campaign finance law. And now it specifically says childcare expenses is an allowed use of campaign funds. 
Interesting. Which is like so important. I just like, it's some of these things where you're like, how did this not exist? Like, how does this make, not make sense? Which like, granted, like, obviously it didn't make sense. Yeah. The classic, but in terms of like childcare itself, like getting to the nitty gritty, I feel like that itself can be pretty broad. Like, yes. what does that entail? Like, is that like, you can use it for daycare? Is that like, you can use it? Like if you have to hire babysitters, like, are there limits within that too? Or great question. So in some places it is super broad, like Illinois, we got legislation passed in Illinois, allowing campaign funds for caretaking expenses. That's epic. So that can include a broad range of dependents like elders, right? We're seeing more and more of the sandwich generation running for office, Mm. candidates that are taking care of both their children and their elderly parents. And they should be able to use campaign funds to pay for that. We're also seeing other states where it's very much, okay, you can use it. If your child is under 13, the caretaker cannot be a family member and you can use up to this amount of money. So it differs state to state. You guys are like, obviously like working to fix this on the state level. What are like the barriers that are happening? Because obviously I feel like the federal process and petitioning process was so successful. Yeah. And then there seems to be sort of this agitation with states where they're like, eh, a little uneasy. Like, why is that? Wait, also when did it happen on the federal level? The federal level is 2018. Okay. Yep. So before, but in 2020, there were seven states that allowed the use of campaign funds to pay for childcare. Right now there are 14. So we doubled the number of states in the last year. The biggest hurdle is honestly alerting legislators to this option. Like, hey, uh-huh. there's a federal standard that was set during the FEC decision and your campaign finance law in your state doesn't match that, which yeah. is often the case across the board, right? States get to make their own campaign finance law. It does not have to, there are certain things it has to match, but it doesn't have to be the federal law, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise federal government would be ruling state by state. The biggest thing is just saying to them, hi, there's an option to diversify elected officials in your state to allow a more diverse group of candidates to run for office. What do you think? A lot of the time it's, yeah, that sounds great. Mm -hmm. Help us put together the language for the bill, right? In other places, there's concern, like I said before, about abuse of this option. I think that there is, that that's not necessarily specific to this movement. It's generalized to any allowable campaign expense. There is a concern that there will be more of an opportunity for candidates to abuse campaign finances. Was that like an excuse, seemingly? Yeah, I think that. There's always a concern for abuse of campaign funds, and there are entities in place to handle that, to make sure you have candidates have to report how they spend their campaign funds. Every, it's sometimes it's every quarter, sometimes it's every couple of months, they have to publicly disclose how they use their campaign funds. If a candidate publicly disclosed that they raised $20,000 in a quarter and they spent $20,000 on campaign, on childcare, they would have a very hard time raising another dollar more. (laughs) And if that broke that state's 
campaign finance law, they would be fined for that and they would have to face the consequences of it. Right. Can we also talk about a little bit too, like since 2018, since this has kind of been enacted, at least on the federal level, what does that look like in terms of, you know, what kind of doors is open for for women running for office? Have we seen an increase, a boost? Yeah. Candace Valenzuela, who ran for Congress in Texas's 24th congressional district, who is now Vote Mama's Texas state chair, I think put it best. And she called campaign funds for child care campaign saving, that it was a life jacket to be able to run for office. We actually released a report about the use of campaign funds for child care federally and at the state level back in May. So we released a report on the use of campaign finance, campaign funds for child care at the federal and the state level back in May. That can be found at votemamafoundation.org. And what we did was look through all the FEC reports of how candidates use their campaign funds and who claimed child care in that and went state by state and found what candidates were using it. And then we interviewed candidates to see what type of a difference it made. And candidates like Nakima Williams, who filled John Lewis's seat in Georgia's sixth congressional district, when she was running, she was juggling virtual kindergarten with her son and running for Congress. My goodness. That's insane. That's a lot. And Eric (laughs) Swalwell, right? It's it's not just moms, it's dads too, whose wife works full time. He used it to be able to care for his two his two kids. And he called it, I think, a public service lifeline, something like that. But it it just it allows working parents who would otherwise not be able to afford to run for office, which is if you just think about it, not being able to afford running for office is like the quintessential problem of why we (laughs) are facing a lot of what we're facing right now. Our our representatives tend to be wealthier and the ones that are not older tend to be even more wealthy, right? Because they can Mm -hmm. afford to pay for childcare out of pocket. They can afford to not take a salary for however long they're running for. They can, you know, self-finance part of their campaigns. We need a more diverse set of voices at the decision-making table so that we can get legislation allowing for paid family leave, universal childcare, higher quality education, funding for education. Mm -hmm. Those things are top of mind for working parents because they live it every day. But those voices are not at the decision-making table right now. Only 6% of members of Congress are moms with kids under 18. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine how lonely of a voice at a decision-making table that is right now saying, actually, I have to pay for my child's childcare and it costs more than a college tuition. I don't have quality access quality child care in my area. Almost half of Americans live in what's called a child care desert. There is not wow. child care options for them to choose from, oh much less quality child care options. Right. So there's a lot of work to be done for working families in America and vote mama. We think that the best way to make those changes is to get a more diverse group of decision makers elected. And our focus is electing 
working moms. I love that. I love all of it. Well, moving on to like next year's a big year. We got the midterm elections. <laughs> what is going on at Vote Mama with all of that? Do you guys have just so much going on? Are you endorsing yet? What's what's the deal? Yeah, great question. So we are actually right now in the midst of our second round of endorsements for this year. We're supporting a lot of 2021 candidates. There are elections happening at the local level across the country. There are state level elections happening in New Jersey and Virginia. So listeners, if you are if you are out there, please support candidates running in Virginia and New Jersey. Dad, that's for you. Hello. Hello. Please. We have some incredible candidates that we're supporting in both states. And we're gearing up for 2022. We are going to have, the Democrats are going to have an uphill battle to keep majority in the House. We think that moms are going to help us keep that majority. So we are supporting 2022 newcomer candidates that are looking to flip seats. And we are supporting 2022 incumbents who are in for tough races. And that work is starting now. We know how vitally important it is for candidates to get early support and validation through endorsements. So we try to get involved in races as early as we can. So we can start supporting from from the ground up. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Well, so much work to do. And I can't wait to like continue hearing about these candidates and you'll have to keep us in the loop on everyone that y'all endorse and any, you know, of course, events that you guys do with them. We would love to not only know about them, but loop our listeners in. Yes, absolutely. Well, to wrap everything up, where can people find Vote Mama? We got social media handles. We have websites. Can people volunteer, donate. I don't know. What's the deal? Okay. So our PAC site is votemama.org. You can find us on social at votemamaus and it's M-A-M-A. That's how we spell mama. Our foundation is votemamafoundation.org and our social handles are votemamafdn. On our websites, there are, on our PAC website, you can sign up to um, work for or volunteer for any of our candidates. You can submit your resume to a resume bank. You can send it in. And we're also going to be looking to bring on some fellows for the fall semester. We go. In both of our entities, you'd be working under me to help break down barriers and get more moms into elected office. So if you're listening and you're interested You can find the postings on our websites and you can email me your resume and I would love to have you on our team. Yes. Oh my God. And if anyone applies, make sure in that cover letter, there's no spelling or grammar issues, but also let us know if you heard this on Girl on the Gov, the podcast. So we know if anyone applied, we would absolutely love that information. Thank you so much for coming on. This is amazing. What you guys do is amazing and we can't wait to continue to watch Um, what you guys do, especially moving into next year. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, let's get on into top stories today. We have a few doozies, most including the state of Texas. So (sighs) we'll just get right into it because definitely, you know, Texas Greg Abbott on the shit list per usual, but like- You You keep calling him Greg Abbott by his God-given name, but we all know it's Lord Farquaad. 
It's Lord Farquaad. I, I'm sorry. I keep messing that up. Okay, well, Lord Farquaad signed an election overhaul <laughs> into law on Tuesday that basically adds more voting restrictions in in Texas and after Democrats have spent months protesting. Go listen to our episode with Claudia Zapata from three weeks ago. Those Democrats spent those months protesting what they said are in efforts to weaken minority turnout and preserve the GOP's eroding dominance in Texas. Again, cough, cough. We saw Texas almost turn blue last November. So keep that in mind as we run through the story of like interesting timing on, on Lord Farquaad's part to, you know, pass this bill. It's because he almost suffered a big L last year. Anyway, loser, loser, double loser, ask <laughs> if whatever, get the picture, duh. Thank you so much for that. Okay, so <laughs> Lord Farquaad signed the sweeping changes during a ceremony in the East Texas city of Tyler, where, where the surrounding county went for Trump by more than a two to one margin last year, but it was far closer in Texas overall with Trump carrying the state by five and a half points, the thinnest margin of victory by a GOP presidential nominee in Texas in decades. Again, just keep that in mind running through this, the intentions here. Already, the rewrite of this of these Texas voting laws are target of at least three federal lawsuits, including another filed on Tuesday, and all are contending the changes that will have disproportionate impact on minorities. Lord Farquaad and other Republicans say it expands access by increasing the minimum number of early voting hours, but the law also puts new restrictions on late night voting. And Texas is among at least 18 states that have enacted new voting restrictions since the 2020 election. And the laws are a part of just a big national GOP campaign, including in Florida, Georgia, and Arizona, to tighten voting laws in the name of security. Partly driven by Trump's false claims that the election was stolen. But again, the biggest reason here is that Florida, Georgia, Arizona, and Texas, these states that are now pushing all of these voting restrictions, literally all almost flipped blue. Or they did. Georgia and Arizona did. So it's like, let's be real here about the reasons behind. And this all happened because of the incredible voter turnout. And now they're flipping that on its head and trying to suppress and restrict voting access, um, especially in these minority communities. So in response to new voting restrictions in GOP-controlled state houses, Democrats in Congress want to pass new federal voting rights protections at the federal level, but have been unable to overcome opposition from Senate Republicans. Again, just this GOP effort nationwide to restrict voting access is just so apparent. And it's really because they're afraid to lose point blank period which like i said double loser double loser yada 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 whatever but look we can't get out of this freaking state you're stuck in texas for these top stories like what i like love to talk about utah maybe montana possibly but no so we can't really get out of texas today which is unfortunate to say the least but we we have just a lot of news coming from the lone star state and this bit of news is, of course, if you haven't guessed already, about the abortion law that was top of conversation last week. So the Supreme Court, which, what Supreme Court really at this point, in my opinion, but anyways, no one asked me, so here we are, has allowed this Texas law to keep chugging along, which is banning abortions around six weeks earlier than some women even know that they're pregnant, find out that they're pregnant. I mean, six weeks is freaking insane. If you've ever been like someone that is irregular, you would just have no freaking idea. I mean, look, there's so many issues with it. If there's like a guy listening to this. Where the hell have the men been? 
where the hell have men been, honestly? And what I find so freaking insane is that I genuinely know so many guys that have benefited from a person that has gotten an abortion. The amount of shit women go through to avoid getting your seed, men, just so you know. We do everything we can. We do everything we can. And you do nothing except literally spread your seed everywhere. And then when shit like this happens, abortion laws are passed, you're like, where are you? Why are you silent? Can we get like a campaign to go around where like we get a bunch of like celebrity, like kind of womanizer, like classic, like bachelor, like celebrities, like the Brad Pitts of the world. Yeah, and like John the athletes, Mayers, like the John Mayers and being like, they should actually have like a full PSA campaign towards men being like, hey, we love to have sex, we're single, but we need to do our part and take all of this burden off of women. And we especially need to fight back for our reproductive rights for women if we're gonna go spread our seed the way we do. Like women can have, can have sex like once and get pregnant and then for like nine months, you know, obviously be pregnant. And in that nine months, a man, that same man who got that one girl pregnant can have sex hundreds of more times and get hundreds of more women pregnant. And there's only birth control for women. Like what? Right, like numerically, like it makes absolutely no sense. Like there was also like some meme too that was like, it was like if men had to get, could get pregnant, like abortions would be available at like the Jiffy Lube whatever, but there's just so much to be like consistently angry about. And this has been an issue that's forever pissed me off and really been like, same. honestly, I think it's like one of the things that like got me into politics in the first place. Like even as like a tween teenager, like the whole, like this whole topic is like, I think my number one thing that really like mm-hmm. not only irks me, but like motivates me to be totally. in politics. No, I mean, it's just, I mean, we we need to obviously get into more of the you know details of of this oh, yeah. bill and that would the bounties and the just the literal blatant just violence against women that is being proposed in this in this bill. So I guess we'll get into that and then the ranting will continue. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean it could like I could honestly rant about this all day. I think we both could. So basically to give like a little bit of like understanding to why this gray area exists, basically this law allows Texas citizens to sue providers who violate this abortion law in addition to anyone who quote unquote aids and abets to this law. So I could literally be like anyone from like the Uber driver that just happened to be picking someone up to go to a clinic, to the healthcare provider themselves, to a clergy person that was advising on this or providing counsel. I mean, like the limit does not exist. You bet your ass it won't be the man that got her pregnant though. (laughs) Of course they won't. Imagine like you are a abusive freaking husband and your wife or a strange wife like gets an abortion and then like controls like suing all the people around her and like what the yeah i mean let's just think about what this whole bounty situation could possibly do like literally businesses could form to go search for women getting abortions so that they can go sue and you know make a profit off of this or let's think about all of the creepy misogynistic men that will go and like make this their mission to go hunt down women and find women to go like sue and get their money like it's so dangerous and just misogynistic and so frustrating and scary and depressing like let's go put bounties on heads of women who are 
seeking abortions. Like, are we joking? It's so freaking insane. And there's, like, there's no exception for rape or incest. And here's, like, part of the thing. The bouncy is $10,000. So $10,000 in damages. I mean, 10K is a lot of money. That's what I'm saying. That's, like, we could barely, like... We were getting people vaccinated off of $100, right? Like, come, like, certain states, like, here, we'll give you 100 bucks. come get vaccinated, and it was actually working. So, like, if $10,000 is on the line, I mean... Even giving a private citizen, even if it's like, oh, if you know of someone who gets an abortion, report it. There's that. Right. But then adding a, a, a large sum of money as a prize to go seek this out, like... It's fucked. And you know what's, like, also so wild is, like, everyone is, like, oh, like, how could you be surprised? I'm not surprised. We've seen this coming for years. We've literally years and years, this has been a slow roll to getting us here. Obviously, with the way the Supreme Court rolled under Trump, it kind of felt like it was expedited a little bit because we all knew this was coming in that way. But the part that gets me, and maybe I was just totally out flinch on this as a possible policy end, was this bounty element. Like, the, the ideologies, the mentalities, the push of, like, certain state legislatures, not shocked by any means. Saw this coming. The bounty? What the literal fuck? What the literal fuck? The stats that are crazy are, like, how restrictive abortion laws don't do anything to lower no, the they just make them unsafe. of abortions. They just they make just them make them unsafe. unsafe. And unsafe, obviously, in the medical procedure of it all, but now extremely even more unsafe because there are going to be creepy fucking men and misogynists who want to go like literally search and hunt down women for this it's <sighs> Deep i just we could rant on this all day but so that everyone is up to date lord farquaad mm-hmm. aka governor abbott has signed this into law on the 7th aka today so you know <laughs> Don't love that. In terms of some reactionary things, good old Joe Biden blasted the Supreme Court decision, directed federal agencies to do what they could to quote unquote insulate women and providers from the impact of the law. But like what President Biden also stated was quote unquote whole whole of government effort to respond to this decision. And we'll look at what steps the federal government can take to ensure that women in Texas have access to safe and legal abortions as protected by Roe. So again, it's sort of like that continued element to that and then the u.s attorney general also said that the justice department is deeply concerned about the texas law and is evaluating all options to protect the constitutional rights of women including access to an abortion but last but not least from the supreme court itself justice sonia sotomayor called the conservative decision stunning and said this in her dissent that presented with an application to enjoin a flagrantly unconstitutional law engineered to prohibit women from exercising their constitutional rights and evade judicial scrutiny. Majority of justices have opted to bury their heads in the sand, she wrote. Well, this is going to be something to continue to watch. Like this whole reproductive battle does not stop here. We're going to see other states probably follow suit, those other kind of conservative states. But we're also going to see a lot of legal battles as well. So... We will keep our eye on that and keep everyone posted. But really shitty news. It's been a hard week for women, but we'll keep keep battling here. So moving on to talking about Hurricane Ida and the damage done that is just really shedding light and exposing this very harsh kind of climate reality that we're facing moving forward and especially on the infrastructure front. This 
could definitely help Biden's cause in, in Congress passing these infrastructure packages. But basically shaken by these just haunting images of surging rivers, flooded roads and subways. Good Lord, those subway videos. Oh, my God, and terrifying. other damage caused by the remnants of Hurricane Ida. Lawmakers from both parties are vowing to upgrade the nation's aging infrastructure network. And as the deadly storm moved through the Gulf Coast, up through the Northeast, members of Congress said that this has only offered irrefutable evidence that power lines, roads, bridges, and other infrastructure are deteriorating even as storms and other extreme weather are strengthening. And at least 50 people from Virginia to Connecticut died as storm water from Ida cascaded into people's homes, engulfed cars, and overwhelming urban drainage systems, unable to handle so much rain in such a short amount of time. Again, just highlighting we are not ready for climate change. So, and it's happening. And Schumer and other lawmakers said the catastrophe is the latest example of why the nation needs the nearly trillion dollar infrastructure bill passed by the Senate last month. And he and other Democrats are also calling for the package of Biden's $3.5 trillion partisan rebuilding plan aimed at helping families and combating climate change. So Democrats hope to pass both bills by the end of this month. But action on the bipartisan bill may be difficult until the larger package is ready. And progressives especially are saying that they won't support a bipartisan bill without a strong companion legislation to advance their progressive priorities, a.k.a. let's solve climate change, please. You know, I, I have, like, thoughts and feelings about this. Like, I'm probably going to get canceled for saying this, but, like, dear progressives, like, freaking compromise. Like, I... Climate change, absolutely huge issue, and we need to tackle it. But, like, can we get something passed? Like, this is, like, why people get so pissed off at nothing happening in D.C. Like, we have very limited window to get anything passed at all. And we've got progressives fighting with Joe Manchin, who's just a nightmare. Kristen Cinema, same thing. And it's like, guys, can we just... Somewhere in the middle. There's got to be a middle. I don't understand how we can't, like, figure it's that like, out. But, like, all these, like, kind of half-assed climate solutions aren't going to do shit. That's yeah, kind that's of the fair. point. Is that, like... They they'll pass these bipartisan things and we'll ring the bipartisan bell and Joe Biden will be like, look, I'm a bipartisan president and everyone's like, woo, political win. But that doesn't do shit or solve any of the problems that we're facing. They're just like fake solutions per usual. So I do get the battle. I get the battle like battle to the fucking ends of the earth on climate change. I don't give a shit what it takes. Like, yeah, for me, I think we need extreme measures. And I, 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 I agree with, you know not just settling for a bipartisan bill. It's just, we'll see what happens. Again, I think this month there'll be some more answers. But I just hope so. I just very much feel like nothing's ever going to happen and nothing's going to ever get passed. And we're going to be like, oh, we had this opportunity to at least do something. And now we Well, have the nothing. thing is, is too, it's like, it's back to that conversation about how, you know, sometimes it's not about, you know, just passing things or like wins, but about pushing forward the conversation you know like that's why i say like yeah progressive candidates even if they lose they still pushed people so far on on issues that were in in the direction they need to go so i think continue to battle personally on especially on climate change it's just like look at look around (laughs) like what what the fuck are we supposed to do and you've seen some of like republicans starting to inch forward towards climate solutions for once Mitch McConnell acknowledging climate change is real like there's there has been moment like movement so I think it's just like we have to continue pushing them on on all of this and I think again like 
seeing this hurricane and seeing 50 people die from like literally just rainfall is fucking crazy and i think it's starting to wake some legislators up and we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens but anyways on all of these stories to you guys it's been these are all a little bit doomsday for sure so head to our instagram we have multiple posts with action items on a lot of these issues and these stories so go check those out and if you have questions or if you want to get involved or like want to ask about some more action items you can take definitely dm us or email us we're happy to send along some resources but yeah also you guys for an ambassador program i uh, definitely want to give a shout out and push forward that sign up form because we want to we want to meet you we want to bring you in there's some great networking opportunities coming up we've got one towards the middle of september you don't want to miss it so if you're interested in connecting with other uh politically minded individuals doing a little bit of networking learning about their careers like this is definitely a moment for you to be able to do that we have events throughout the rest of the year as well so if you can't make the next one there are more opportunities but regardless you'll want to sign up sooner rather than later so hit that link in our description because we got the deets there we got the sign up form I mean, the whole nine yards. So don't miss it. And while I'm on this little rant of sorts, hit that rate, hit that review. Yes. If you haven't in a while, maybe some smiley faces. Honestly, I've been like really, really loving the nerdy face emoji recently. So I'm just saying like okay. if you are vibing with nerdy face or crazy eyes, I got you. So <laughs> hit us up with those because we love it. Um, Otherwise, if you're more of a Spotify person, obviously hit us with a follow. I mean, you guys know the deal. Yes. Thank you for listening. And we'll be talking to you all next Wednesday. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.